<clears throat> All right, we're plowing through the book of Ephesians. Did I turn this on? I guess I did. I, yes. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at specifically uh, 11 and 12 <clears throat> of chapter 2, but <clears throat> let me just have a few introductory remarks before we do that. Last week, as you remember, if you were here, and I'm telling you this in case you weren't here, uh, that we saw things that <clears throat> God has done for the sinner. We found that he made us alive by raising us up from the dead. That's found in verse 5. He saved us by his grace. That's found in verse 5 and verse 8. He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, verse 6. Uh, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's in verse 10. And we saw in verse 4, but God, but God. God did not leave the sinner to perish. Aren't you thankful? Do you realize that he did not have to do that? That we would have all could have perished in our sins and he would have been a just God for doing that. And yet we're told that he has mercy on a multitude that no man can number. Uh, we serve a gracious God. Uh, we find that God intervened, but God. But God, and I go back and listen to that. I, I guess it's on the a website, but uh, we found that God in verse 7, in his kindness, in his kindness, and uh, man's privilege is to accept the offer of salvation by faith. That's found in verse 8. Remember that human works don't have any part in your salvation. You're saved by grace. You had nothing to do with it. I know that may upset you because you think that you, you know, are particularly smart and that you can understand things that other people can't and that you uh, came to Christ. And you did, if you're a believer, you did. But he was the one who was wooing you. So he gets all the praise and all the glory. And it's a shame we have to wait, some of us have to wait till heaven to give him all the praise. Because one day, we will. And, and uh, so uh, just let God uh, speak to you and bow to his sovereignty. Bow to who he is, that he is the great God and Savior. And uh, I'm preaching uh, the old sermon, but uh, that's okay. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, it's not of works. Why? Because we could boast of our own achievements and deprive him of his glory. This week, we see Paul, who, ha who was a Jew, remember, who was the apostle mainly to the Gentiles. Now, it wasn't that he wouldn't witness to a Jew or a Jew couldn't be saved through his ministry, but primarily to the Gentiles. We find that in, in chapter 3, verse 1, and also in verse 8 of chapter 3. And uh, Paul realized that with the church coming together, that you were going to have Jews and Gentiles 
together in the same church. And he is addressing that because Paul wants all of us, and we'll see this some this week, but mainly next week where we've been all reconciled to him through the cross, but we're to be unified as brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, it takes, again, the power of the Holy Spirit in order for that to take place. We even read in the scripture, remember, where there was hatred, hatred towards the Jews. And there was hatred of the Jews towards the Gentiles. And Paul is saying, it's been done away with through the cross. Remember at the cross, when he died, what happened? The veil was was rent from top to bottom. There's no longer a court of the Gentiles. We're one in Christ. I'm no better than you, and you are no better than me or anyone else. That's what Christ has done, and that's what Paul, I think, is going to be telling everyone here. And uh, we're going to see that more next week. So, what Paul is saying here is for us too. Uh, and you can imagine, I can't imagine because we don't really have that happening today, but if you were Jews or Gentile and all of a sudden they start coming in the, into the church, you, you would say, what are these uncircumcised people doing here? You know, this is, this is for us, Gentiles, or vice versa. And Paul is addressing that in the most powerful way. And so there was division in the church, just like there will always be division in the church. Uh, And so he wants to uh, address that. And he says, consider first the past of the Gentiles uh, and what they were before becoming believers. And I say that to us Brethren, remember, and it's about remembering, he says, what we were before we knew Christ. Let's read together verses 11 through uh, 13. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now, that's kind of like the but God, but he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were afar off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Wow. Thank God. But he says, remember what you came from. Remember that you're Gentiles. God did not have to have mercy on you. And so, what he's really trying to tell us all is don't be proud. Don't be proud, puffed up, uh, looking down on others, thinking you're better than uh, a person that walks in that's a hobo, that doesn't have any, uh, it smells bad. No. 
we're now to love those kind of people. Even our enemies, we're to love. And that's what the Holy Spirit will do in our hearts. By the way, this is not a suggestion here. Did you pick up on that? He doesn't say, if you want to do this. He's saying, this is a command. Remember. Not if you want to. or No, remember, he says. This is kind of the application before the application at the end of the... But I just want you to be thinking about it. Have you ever wondered why your prayers have so little fervor? Why you sing with blank expressions and not from the heart? That you're not being stirred by the gospel? How often do you say, the greatest thing in the world is to know Jesus. Do you find yourself saying that? Maybe not out loud, but in your heart. Oh, it's a wonderful thing to know Jesus, to be saved, be a child of God. How often, how often do you think that or say that? Why don't our hearts break for lost people? Because they only have hell in front of them without Christ. So Paul tells the Gentiles to remember that you were hopeless at one time. And that's everybody in us. You were hopeless at one time. Now you may have not realized that because you grew up in a wonderful home and and I don't have any problem with that. But even though you came up in a wonderful home where Christ was always preached and you didn't come out of some terrible background, but you still were hopeless. And we'll look at an illustration of that from Scripture, but uh, we need to see our miserable condition by nature that we'll thank God more. We need to thank God more. I need to thank God more. How often do you just at times say, thank you, God, for saving my soul. Thank you, God, for making me whole. Think about it. I'm not, you know, this is, this is very important. God, I love you more. Every day my love for you grows more and more. Does it? I'm asking the question, and this is what Paul is driving home here. It's not, it's a, it's a command, not a suggestion. He says, you were Gentiles in the flesh. That is, living in the corruption of their natures. To remember what they had been by nature and what they are now have become by grace. By grace. By grace. God has had mercy on you by his grace. You've been saved. Not of works, but through faith, lest anyone should boast. He and Paul says, remember, they were called the uncircumcision we see here, by the circumcision, the Jews. By the way, this was a slur for a Jew to call you uncircumcised. This was uh, uh, the N-word if you will. 
without saying it, but that's what it was. There was a real hatred there. And there can be real hatred in our hearts towards other people. And I say other races, but I don't even like that because there's only one human race. But other ethnic groups, and, and uh, we can get so puffed up because I'm a doctor's son. We have another doctor's son right here. I'm a doctor's son. I'm somebody special. I'm the son of the President of the United States. So, and so they were despised for their uncircumcision, which was sad because these coming from formal Jews who had made the circumcision of the flesh as extremely important. It was an ordinance of circumcision. So the Jews thought of themselves as separate from the Gentiles. And so Paul is dealing with this. I mean, it's a real battle and division and real disturbance going on. And if, if, I think if we were one or the other at that time, uh, we would, uh, a Jew or a Gentile in that church, then we would really see it going on. But the Gentiles were inferior. Uh, matter of fact, they were dogs, which was about as low an animal as you could be at that time. Matter of fact, in the rabbinical writings in the Talmud, listen to what they said concerning the Gentiles. They say the Gentiles were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. Now, can you get any stronger than that? I mean, how, hate, how deep does hatred go if you say the Gentiles were made for the fuel of hell? I'd say that's pretty strong, wouldn't you? And yet I've heard people talk about other people. They deserve hell. I mean, I just hate those people. And, bleh. and what's so sad, it can be an Alabama fan or an Auburn fan. I hate Alabama fans. What? Yeah. They're so annoying. I've heard Alabama's uh, uh, people, you know, just because they're an Auburn fan, they don't like them. And so you're not getting out of this. This is not just a Jew and a Gentile thing here, okay? So I want you to search your heart and say, God, how am I like that? Where are my prejudices? Because we have them. We have them. Yeah, I would say they didn't love their enemies as Jesus instructed us to do. Now, what should we remember? What should we remember since we are Gentiles? First thing we need to remember, I think, and it's maybe not spelled out here, but it's the truth. He, does, he doesn't say it here, but in John 4.22 it says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. We need to remember that. We've been grafted in. We're not some special group of Gentiles. What Paul is driving home here. So I must cease to be alienated from the common wealth of Israel. 
I must become a fellow citizen of Israel. That's chapter 2, verse 19, which is getting ahead, but I am a fellow heir of their promises, chapter 3, verse 6. Let me just say this. There is no true salvation outside the true Israel. But you say, I'm talking about what happens in here. The circumcision of the heart. We become part of the blessings that were poured out upon them. All the promises, heirs and so forth. So we see the true Israel expanded to embrace all believing Gentiles and to the people of God, the true Israel. Wow. Wow. See, I'm nobody special. I'm nobody special. We as Gentiles are not special in that sense that God loves us more now. No. We've been grafted in. And Paul talks about that, doesn't he, in other places. In Ephesians chapter 3, in verses 4 through 6, Paul teaches a mystery which had been fully revealed in the Old Testament, had not been fully revealed in the Old Testament, but now is heralded as good news to the Gentiles. Namely, that in verse 6 of chapter 3 of Ephesians, he says, the Gentiles, notice now, that's you, us, you are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. Wow. God did that for us. Paul says says, uh, elsewhere in Galatians 3, remember I went through Galatians, we all did that together, he said, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male or female, for you are all what? One in Christ Jesus. You mean that means I've got to love everybody? Yeah, that's what he says. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's, what? Who's? Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. You've been grafted in. You're just as much a son of God, an heir, as the Jews were. Or are today if they're believers, if they're messianic believers. Wow, this is huge, is it not? Philippians 3, 2 through 3. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the what? True circumcision. Who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And put no confidence in the flesh. He's saying it, isn't he? Galatians 3, 8 through 9. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, and that's in the Old Testament, preach the gospel. Notice, preach the what? The gospel beforehand to whom? Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. See, I'm a child of Abraham. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the what? That's the key. Being a believer. Being a believer. Romans 2.29. But he is a Jew who is what? One inwardly. And circumcision is that which is what? 
of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. Romans 11, 17 through 21. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, Gentiles, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be what? Don't boast. Don't think that you're something special toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember, huh, did you see it? Remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. Salvation is of the Jews. Wow. Boy, that kind of takes away your pride, doesn't it? Takes away all arrogance. Takes, takes away all your boasting. Takes away your saying, we're better than the Jews. No. We've been grafted in to that root. This is what he's saying here. And then, uh, God has called not only, uh, I didn't finish reading that, uh, from Romans 11, 17 through 21. You will say that branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their, what? Unbelief. But you stand by what? Your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Pretty strong language Paul has to say. And then Romans 9, 24, he says, Even us whom he has called, not from among the Jews only, but God, God's still saving Jews. I've met some of them, and they're on fire for Christ, but also from among the Gentiles. So primarily, God is, there's grace upon grace upon grace being poured out upon the Gentiles. And I, I saw it in Africa. I mean, I saw people who are alive that had been in voodoo and, and uh, demon possession, and those people know Christ because they have been released. They remember from what they came from, and so should we. We should be this way. Let me ask you, do you, do you get excited as a Gentile to be saved by being joined to Christ the seed of Abraham becoming an heir of all the glory promised to God's people, Israel? Does that excite you? It should. Does it excite you that, that the true Israel's destiny is now your destiny? And all the promises made to Israel are now your promises. Wow. Are you looking forward to the Messiah Christ coming back and establishing his glorious kingdom that you have a part in? Wow. But if I am to love him as I ought, because we all fall short, don't we, of loving him, but if I'm to love him, I've got to remember from where I came from. 
See that? So we need to be doing that daily. We need to be remember, remembering uh, what we came from. So Paul, I think, is writing uh, to the Gentiles and urging them to reflect on where they came from. How wretched, how miserable, how without hope they really were. That they had no interest in Christ. They had no interest in anything. They had their idols and and so forth. They were without hope. That was their plight. They were without hope. What does it mean, he says here, to be without God? I think probably being without God is uh, probably found in some of the covenants in the Old Testament. For example... Uh, in Genesis 17, 4 through 7, it says, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. Whoa. That means people in Africa, uh, here, everywhere. For no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you through their generations for an everlasting covenant. God never forgets his covenant, his promise to his people to be God to you and to your descendants after you. That's pretty strong language. I think you can get from that that God means what he says. And... uh, so we need to take it that way. Also, Jeremiah uh, 31, 33. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. See, it's, it's, it's here. It's not circumcision, outward, uh, uh, and so obedience to the command. But I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So what is he doing? He's changing hearts. He's changing hearts. He's changed my heart. Uh, And he keeps changing my heart. He's not done with me yet. And I know Janine can say amen to that. (laughs) He still needs to work on me some more. Do Do you think he needs to work on you some more? Or do you think you're like a Pharisee that's kind of arrived, you know? Matter of fact, you're even putting hedges around the the law, so you won't even get near breaking the law. No, the truth is I sin against God every day in thought, word, and deed. That's why I have to remember and then turn to the cross, turn to Jesus, ask for forgiveness, and then uh, be filled with his love and his joy towards me. See, what, what is my hope? My hope is not me. I hope your hope is not you. I hope you're not hoping in Something you did because it's what Jesus did. Wow. I'm looking for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of what? My great God and Savior. Isn't that wonderful? That's our hope. If you think your hope's here on this earth and all the stuff and you're gathering up more stuff and you're going to get a bigger bank account and you're going to be all happy and everything's going to be cozy and all wrong. You're absolutely wrong. 
I hate to break your bubble, but that's just, you know, that's the way it is. Did you know that he is working everything to good for all his children? Romans 8, 28. Remember, apart from Christ, God would be against us. Apart from Christ, we would be storing up wrath for ourselves on the day of the righteous judgment of God. Romans 2, 4 and 5. Do you, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads to repentance, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourselves in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. If you're not right with God, get right with God. Come to God. Come to Christ. Bow down to him and trust him, realizing that you cannot save yourself. Without Christ, the wrath of God abides on you. And when that happens, it's not going to be pretty. When Jesus comes again, he's not coming as a lamb. He's coming as a lion. And if you don't know him, if you're not trusting him, if you have not uh, uh, bowed to him as your Lord and your Savior, and you've not confessed, God, I can't save myself. Save me by your mercy. I'm lost and undone. I would urge you to do that. And he'll save you. I guarantee you he'll rush in. The Holy Spirit will rush in and change you just that quick. Just that quick he'll do it. How should we remember? How? H-O-W. How should we, we remember? We need to let it grip us. We need to feel the, our plight as we once were. It needs to move the heart. See, this is not just stuff to memorize and just kind of go through the motions. But it's something that needs to be stirring our heart. Has the gospel stirred your heart? Is the gospel, believing the gospel will change your life. And only believing the gospel will change your life. And this is what Paul is saying here. Let it stir you. How should I remember? By letting it stir you. What are the means of remembering? Several things here. I want you to pray this. God, make my heart soft and sensitive. Pray, Lord, you'll make my heart soft and sensitive that I'd be moved. That I would really remember my plight. And then I think we need to use our imagination. Uh, and by that I mean we, rem- we need to go back and remember how God either used us or did it for us, saved us from some terrible tragedy that's about to happen. Uh, if you're standing on a cliff and all of a sudden you slip and you slide down and you've just got the, your fingers on the, on the ledge and you, you know you're going to fall and yet somebody sees this happen and they come and throw you the rope. 
and it falls down and you grab the rope, you're going to start kissing that rope. Probably the person that hauls you out of there too. But see, we got to remember that we were just dangling by our little fingernails, about to fall into hell, and God throws us the rope. Jesus. Are you clinging to Jesus? Wow. Just that easy, but just that hard too because of all the things in our lives that would... Uh... I had a thing happen to me uh, years and years ago. That's when I was young and I could... And I'd taken life-saving at Auburn, and uh, I didn't finish because I got pneumonia and, and uh, had to drop out. But anyway, Janine and I, with the, when the girls were real small, were at Dolphin Island. And uh, we were just, you know, they were playing the surf. And all of a sudden, about 100 yards down the beach, these girls are screaming out, just screaming for their lives. And so uh, I just take off down the beach. And I turn and I go out to them, and they were drowning. They were drowning. One girl was drowning, and the other girl tried to save her, and she was drowning that girl. And so I come up there, and she, like a lifesaver, grabs onto me. Just, and it's like a bear grabbing you. I mean, it was like, you're going to be my lifesaver. And I had to reach down with my feet and push her off. And then eventually I pushed her to the beach and got her in, the other girl who could swim, made it in as well. So I went back and we sat down we were, and they come up to me and said, we were going to die, weren't we? And I said, yeah, you were. You were going to die. Matter of fact, you'd be dead right now. And they hugged me. Wow, you saved us. They were thrilled. Does it thrill your heart that Jesus has saved you? Think about it. Does it thrill your heart that once you were without hope and now you have the blessed hope of Christ in your life? Wow. Our God is good. I have a whole lot more. But there's a benefit I want to talk about of remembering. And it is that we will cherish the forgiveness of sins. Uh, you remember in the scripture that happened when Jesus went to eat with Simon the Pharisee. And a prostitute who had uh, found unexpected uh, forgiveness and cleansing from, from Christ came in and weeping, it says, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. And the Pharisee, as you remember, object, objected. And then Jesus tells him a parable. And I think this is what I want us to really have sink deep in our hearts. Luke 7, 40 through 47. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they weren't able to repay, he graciously forgave them both. 
So which one of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning around the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Wow. Do you love Jesus little? Or do you love Jesus much when you look and remember where you came from and the mercy and grace that he had on you? Wow. I can. I can tell you my life. And it's not pretty, my life. But Jesus had mercy on me. And he saved me by his grace. And he's still changing me by his mighty power. And it's exciting. Isn't being a Christian exciting? I hope it is. But it is. It's exciting. Just to see what he does and is doing and changing us and moving us. And it's to give him the glory for that. So Paul is saying both Jews and Gentiles need the gospel. He's bringing together these two groups who have very little in common with each other. And he's doing that by changing their hearts. Let me ask you in closing, what dividing walls, what prejudice that are in your life that need to be torn down? Whether it's black and white, whether it's Southerner and Yankee. And I've known some men who hated Yankees just because they were from the North. Had nothing to do with what went on in that war, but yet they hate them because they're Yankees. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, oh, they're just a, a yam danky, you know. That's sad, isn't it? Isn't that sad? But see, this is what he's bringing together. You know, Auburn and Alabama fans can love each other even though you may lose. And I think Alabama will probably win this year, but still in all. And I say that, you know, so you'll get the picture because we make important out of things that are not that important. The court of the Gentiles no longer exists. The wall has been torn down. It's about time you start tearing down some walls or let God tear them down in your life. You need to ask in your heart, is there hatred towards a group or somebody 